moving a little bit. Yeah. What else? We need a clock back there. That's right. Good morning. Welcome to Rimrock Church. Oh, it's a blessing. What a beautiful day. Okay, I'm struggling a little bit because I'd really rather be out in the meadow, but God has us here, and he is here in this place, and we're just so excited to have everybody here with us. So we're going to lift up the name of Jesus, enjoy him and each other today on this beautiful day. Amen?
But my name's Tom Haggerty, and if you've never been to Rimrock Church, I just want to welcome you here. We are so blessed to have this incredible body of believers, people who come and we meet every week, Sundays and Wednesday evenings. 
If, um, if you're new to us, in the front of the seat back in front of you, there's a welcome card. And if you want to, you can fill that out and we'll and take it to the a table in the back of the welcome area there and they'll give you a, a gift. And just to say hello, we are not uh, stalkers. We will not <laughs> sell your information to Google or anybody else. But uh, anyway, we just are glad that you're here. Now, I put this sign up here so I would not forget. Most of you know that Billy Graham's grandson, Will Graham, has taken over Billy's role uh, for doing outreaches throughout America and the world. And uh, I've met him personally. He's a very cool, real person. And he's coming here September 24th, 5th, and 6th with his team. There's going to be incredible music and then preaching. And so the goal, of course, to this is so that people who have never met Jesus can come to know him in the way that we have come to know him. And so what we're asking is that you guys would... By the way, there's some of these yard signs available in the back, and there's more if we run out. But there's also a couple of little things you can grab that you can use to invite friends, family, coworkers. Because I can remember many years ago some Christian friends reaching out to me and telling me that there was a God who is real and who cared about me. And for four years, I totally gave them the stiff arm because I was doing the party thing and the rock and roll thing, and I thought this is the way to happiness, but I ended up completely empty and miserable. And finally, one night, I looked up to God and said, okay, God, I've seen what you've done in these friends' lives. Would you do something for me? I mean, that's as much as I knew to pray, but God totally revolutionized my life. And that was a lot of years ago. And the thing is, he keeps changing me in positive ways. And so what we want to do is have you guys pray about, okay, who can I invite to this thing and grab, pick up some of these little flyer brochure things and take them to work with you, whoever God lays on your heart. There's an interesting statistic. 80% of the people who come to these crusades and make a, a decision for Jesus Christ have been brought by a friend. So to invite them and then go pick them up and bring them. And I can tell you from the Harvest Crusade being here a decade ago, you know, you think, oh, what's God really going to do here? You know, and is he really going to move on people's lives? We had just short of 2,000 people come forward and give their lives to Jesus through that time. Those three days Greg Laurie was here, and we're trusting God to do the same and more. And, of course, it's online as well. So, like, this goes all over the world from Rapid City, South Dakota. And so just please pray about that and invite a friend, family member, come, because they're, they're so much fun. On top of it, they hire like the best musicians to come and do the music, and uh, yeah. So, with that said, can you believe they entrusted me to do the welcome and the announcements? Thanks, Ben. I feel so good about that. So we're gonna teach you a new song. Some of you have heard it before. goes like this. Saturday was silent. Surely it was through. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? Friday's disappointment. Sunday's empty tomb. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? Oh, it's right. 
give us ears to hear. Amen. student that I was working and and someone said there's something going on and we we gathered around this little tiny TV and we watched as one tower was burning and the other as uh, as another plane flew in and and we remember the the shock of that day knowing that uh, we were under attack and there was this tangible sense of evil in the world and I was thinking about that this week of of remembering um, all that happened and transpired on that day, and um, I thought about the contrast um, of belief, what we believe matters, and, and that's, that's why what we're doing here this morning, it matters. It's not just uh, an activity, it's not just something we do, like, it really matters what we believe, because those terrorists who hijacked those planes believe something. They believe something about God that drove them, and I would say it was a false god, a, a demonic god, but it drove them to take people's lives, to cause chaos and destruction and fear. But what the contrast was to me as I thought about that, that same day that men took it upon themselves to murder and destroy, other men and women did something very different. Because while those towers are burning, other men and women were motivated to go into danger, not to destroy, but to save. Think about those firemen and paramedics who went up the stairs of a burning building to save some. Think about those on the airplane, um, Todd Beamer and others, who realized the situation they were in, and instead of just sitting idly by, they did something, and they acted, and they saved lives. And so we see a contrast between evil actions and actions of love, of self-sacrifice, of saying, my life is, is, I'm willing to lay it down for the good of someone else. And, and where does that come from? It comes from a belief in who God is. What the Bible says is that God is love. And he demonstrated his love to us in that he sacrificed, he gave himself. And so today, as we think about and we remember what happened September 11th, I think it's an opportunity for us to realize how important what we believe about God is. Because it always reveals itself in behavior. What we do comes out of what we believe and who God is. And so uh, let's just take a moment of silence as we remember those who've lost loved ones, the military families who sacrificed over these last 20 years. God, we're grateful that you are a resurrection God. And evil doesn't have the last word. Death doesn't have the last word. And God, we pray that you would bless our land. And we know that blessing cannot be found outside of you. And so as we open your word this morning, change our hearts, change our beliefs about you. Help us to know who you are. So that, God, we can be people of blessing. So that we can be like those firefighters and others who laid down their lives for the good of others. Oh God, our land needs you. Have mercy on our land. Have mercy on our people, God. Lord, raise up your church that we might shine in this dark and depraved land and world. Help us to shine for you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so we are in a series uh, looking at disciplines, and uh, we are looking at corporate disciplines. Um, so there are individual disciplines that we all practice, like prayer and fasting, and Jesus commanded those disciplines, and those disciplines are for the formation of our hearts. But Jesus also commanded uh, corporate disciplines, things that we do together when we gather together. And last week we looked at the importance of physically gathering together, being together for the purpose of worshiping God and the formation of our hearts to, to love God and to love our neighbor, because that's what it's all about. The disciplines aren't so we can check a box and say, look how good I'm doing. I feel good about myself. That's not the, it's a, discipline means a training. It's a formation, and it's a formation of our hearts. That's, that's what God is, is, is wanting to, to have a relationship with us, and so that relationship of love comes out of the formation of our hearts to love him with all our heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Uh, if there's anything I want to emphasize over and over, it's, it's this goal of the disciplines. Uh, it's so easy to fall into some kind of legalism where it's like, you know, um, I'm, I must be doing good because I'm doing all these different things somehow to please God, but that, 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 that's not what it is. We, we already have God's pleasure. <laughs> he loves you no matter what. His, his grace is sufficient. He loved us while we were still sinners. And so it's not a matter of gaining God's favor. We can't gain it. It's been given. <laughs> we can't gain what's already been given. It's a gift. And so we have God's favor, but the discipline is about the formation of our hearts, and it's about knowing God. It's, it's God's glory at the very center. And so when we talk about physically gathering as a church and how important that is. The goal isn't just to, to, to grow the church or make the church successful because church is not at the center. God is at the center. And so the goal is to know God and love God. And the vehicle and the tool that God uses is the body of Christ. As we come together as the church, then the formation of our hearts grows in love for God and our neighbor. And so the church is the vehicle to the goal, which is God himself. Does that make sense? And so uh, what we're about is not, not just growing Rimrock Church or somehow making Rimrock Church successful. No, Rimrock Church has a purpose, but the purpose is the point to God. <laughs> it's, it's not about us. Uh, we, we, won't, we won't have anything to, to offer or give people what they really need. What people really need is God himself. But God uses the church to accomplish that purpose. It says that it was God's intent that through the church, Ephesians chapter 3, that the, the manifold wisdom of God would be revealed. And so the church points to something. It's like John the Baptist, when people are saying, are you the Savior? He said, no, I'm not the Savior. Let me, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And so we are pointers. We are people who are messengers. We are witnesses. We are pointing to something that is the great reality. And so when we gather, the goal isn't just to do church. The goal is, as the church, we point to the glory of God. And that's why we praise Him. That's why, with everything we have, we serve Him. Because we want His glory to be known. We want His life to be lived and experienced in us. I love um, that, the that God has revealed Himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John says, we know that God is love, and the reason we know he is love is because he is Trinity, three in one. Three unique persons of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But one God, and their oneness is revealed in how they sacrifice for each other and how they love within the Godhead. And so the delight of God is to, to as Jesus said, my delight is to do the will of my Father and to glorify him. And the Holy Spirit says, my, my will and delight is to glorify Jesus. And so what you have is self-sacrificing, unselfish love and perfect harmony and perfect beauty, beauty in the oneness of who God is. It's a great mystery. But we know God is love because of that reality. And so that same reality transcends to us. As Jesus said, as, as I and the Father and the Spirit are one, so, so he wants us to be one. He wants us to experience that. And so this morning, we're going to talk about two corporate disciplines. Baptism and communion. Baptism and communion. Two things that specifically Jesus commanded that we are to do and to practice together when we gather and worship together as the body of Jesus Christ. Remember, 
Uh, Francis Schaeffer, I quoted last week, he said there's two orthodoxies. There's the orthodoxy of, of doctrine, what we believe under the authority of the Word of God is important, but there's also the orthodoxy of our community, how we love one another, who we are as the disciples of Jesus. Um, in Matthew 28, the last words of Jesus are very important to us. As we see Jesus uh, coming, uh, having accomplished his work on the cross, his passion, he said, for this reason I have come, to be crucified, to die. And the disciples struggled with that. Why do you need to die, Jesus? And he said, it's necessary, right? He had to do this because this is the way of salvation. His sacrifice was our hope. It's our living hope that he was sufficient sacrifice to pay for our sins. And so he died on the cross, and then he rose again, and, and it says the disciples touched him. They saw him. He ate with them. It was a physical resurrection. And so they were with Jesus. And Paul says there were over 500 people who were with Jesus in those 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. And so right before Jesus ascended back to heaven, saying, I'm going to come back the same way you see me leave. I'm going to come back. And that's why as Christians, we look up often to the clouds and we say, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. It's our greatest longing. But in that time, he said, I have a purpose for you, the church, the people of God. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, John 14, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And this is what he told his disciples in Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 went, disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Faith is a struggle sometimes. Jacob struggled with God, we struggle with God, but, but there's there's something that God is doing. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. We sang this morning, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> He's king. We bow our knees to him. He's Lord. And so as Lord, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. By the way, that word discipline and disciple, same set, comes from the same root baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We don't have time to unpack everything Jesus is talking about, but what I really want to zero in on is this baptism. This must be important because the first thing he says in his commission to his disciples, to his church, to his people, is that we're to be about something. Like, we don't just gather to gather. Like, there's something that God wants to do, and it's a missional purpose. As, as Tom was up here sharing about the Will Graham event, is like, like the impulse is, is to go, to go, to proclaim, to share this message. And, and Acts, um, it says in the Luke version of that, he says, you will be my witnesses. And so God has a purpose for his people in this time because we're waiting for him to return. But until he returns, there's something that he's doing in our world. <laughs> and it's a good purpose. And this is partly what baptism is all about. God has entrusted to the church, to his people, to be baptizers. And so baptism is very important in God's plan of redemption. Now we believe that it's not baptism that saves us. Because what do we know from the Bible that God has revealed very clearly? That salvation is not a work. There's nothing you can do. There's no step. So taking the step of baptism does not save you. What saves you, Paul says very clearly, it's by faith. <laughs> Trusting, believing, giving your heart to God. To love Him, to receive Him. And so it's, been, it's through faith and by grace alone. And so it's a gift. It's nothing that we can do, but, but, but part of that grace is, a, is an invitation and motivation, as I shared last week, that even though grace is not earning, it is obedience, it is striving, it is, it is walking towards what God has for us. That is part of His grace. That is the, the gift of grace as it draws us to what God has for us. And so that's why when Jesus says to be baptized, it's not for our salvation, but it's a re revelation of our salvation. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that baptism is a picture of what happened on the cross in your life and my life. Because we are so marred with sin, this old Ben had to be crucified, had to die. I was thinking as we were singing some of those songs how there was a time in my life where I was so bound up in fear. 
I was struggling with fear and it was keeping me from the things of God. And I remember when Jesus came into my life and he began to liberate me from fear. And I began to live in the freedom of Christ. And I, I look back to my sin of, of so many sins and I can see how, how that old person is being put to death and something new is being awakened in my soul. I feel it, I know it, I see it. And I don't just see it in myself, I see it in you. <laughs> I see new life in all of you. As I get to know you, I see parts of you that were bound in sin that are being set free. And so when we're baptized, we're saying, I am dead in my old self, in my sin, in my rebellion, in my pride, in my greed, in my selfishness. All that is dead. And I go under the water and I can't breathe and I'm dead. I'm dead. We have been crucified with Christ. But then it, as we come out of the water, it's resurrection. <laughs> out of dead bones, God brings life. Amen? <laughs> Amen? And so baptism is a picture of our, our death and our resurrection that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so when he says to be baptized in the name, he's talking about our own story. We each have a story of death and resurrection. But he's also talking about our identity, our identity. And this is why we do baptism publicly. It's not a private thing. Jesus was baptized publicly. Everyone baptized publicly in Acts. We baptize publicly as a church. Why? Because this is our message to the world. This is preaching. We preach, not me, all of us preach as a church in baptism. We are proclaiming something about God and who we are. See, this is, this is belief, formation of the heart, coming out in behavior, who we are. What's significant about a name? <laughs> a name is significant. I could throw out names and all kinds of associations come, right? If I, you, many of you guys know different people, and so if I say Steve Balsley, for some of you who've been in part of Rimrock, with that name, there comes a whole bunch of associations, right? If I say any name, there's a bunch of things that we think about, and there's an identity that comes with that. We all have names. I remember when my kids were born, I named them. <laughs> and they inherited my last name, Green, for better or worse. <laughs> They're stuck with it. And I gave them a name, right? It's identity. I remember my, my brother in Colorado, he and his wife brought three kids, foster kids into their home for several years, but there came a point where they took uh, those three kids, Malachi, Ezra, and Sophia, they took them to the courthouse, and something powerful happened. They were given a new name. So their name changed to green, <laughs> legally binding. And those kids were no longer just living in my brother and sister's house, they were, they were family now. Everything my brother owns is theirs. They're part of the family. That is what baptism is all about. We are baptized in the name of who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So who do, whose family are we part of? God's family, Jesus' family. That's right, Darcy. We, we're part of God's family. We have an identity. We know who we are and whose we are. We belong to God. We're brought in. The Bible says that part of the gospel message is those who are far off are now brought near. We belong. And belonging is so important. It's what we long for. We long to be loved. And so baptism is a picture of our identity, not only in God, but as his family. And that's why as we come uh, to communion, we share the same blood. We are family in the church because we share the same blood. And I love that picture of brothers and sisters in the church because we don't get to pick our brothers and sisters, do we? <laughs> we're born into that family or we're adopted into that family and we have no choice, but we're still brothers and sisters because it is blood that binds us together. And so baptism is that picture of identity. It's our proclamation that we are, the old is gone and the new has come and it's our identity as sons and daughters of God. Now, I, I don't have time to dive into this, but I just want to say that there's another aspect of baptism that's, that's connected but separate. Jesus said, John the Baptist, you baptize with water, but I come to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So we believe in two baptisms. The baptism through water, which Jesus commanded all disciples to do, and then there's the command of the Holy Spirit baptism. 
Now, we believe and teach very clearly from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, that that happens at the moment of belief. That if you believe and trust in Jesus by faith, through, by, by grace, through faith, if you believe that and receive that, you receive the Holy Spirit, that you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. And that's important to us because just as salvation is a gift, so is the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing you or I can do to earn that gift. God gives it to it. He pours out his spirit. That's what Joel the prophet said. I'm going to pour out my spirit on young men and old men and the children. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to be filled together with the Holy Spirit. So there's nothing you need to do. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no special super spiritual activities you do. You receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of belief. That's important. But we do believe as Christians in the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I think a lot of churches, as they, if they teach about a, a second baptism, I think what that's, personally, what I think that's referring to is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that can happen at different moments in our Christian life. In fact, the Bible is very clear that as believers, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Even as a Christian, as a son and daughter, it's not that you are separated from the family, you don't lose your salvation, but you can grieve the Holy Spirit. I know that as a parent. <laughs> I've been grieved over my children. They don't stop being my children. God can be grieved when we do not obey God, when we reject his voice, when we don't listen to what he says, when we do our own thing or we're, 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 we're unloving or we, we're disobedient towards him or others. That's the grieving of the Holy Spirit. And so there's ways to grieve the Holy Spirit, but there's also ways to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And so there's moments in our Christian journey, in our Christian walk, where we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and that manifests itself in so many powerful, beautiful ways. Okay? Difference between baptism and being filled. It's very important. I don't have time to dive into all of it. I'd love to visit more with you more about it. If you have questions, I know our elders would be happy to talk about that as well. Communion is important. Communion has to do with also our proclamation of who we are and who God is. And we do this corporately. We do this together. We're going to do it this morning. Isn't it interesting? The word communion, community, share the same root and they mean the same thing. So community or communion means to have in common, a common union, a common union. I'm looking at Bill right now because he's preached over the last year just how central our union with Jesus is. Like that's foundational. Each of us individually have a special connection, union with the, the God of the universe, Jesus remaining in the vine, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us individually, personally, okay? But that union that we have with Jesus is not just individual. It also spills out into who we are as a people, as the church, as the body of Christ. We share in common this union. And so the, the, the personal faith, the personal relationship with Jesus is just as much as real in me as, as Donovan, but that reality connects us deeply. It's community. It's what, it's what we have in unity, right? It's what we have in unity, what we have in common. And so it's the unity of our, our fellowship and our relationship with God and with each other. So, so now we're getting to the, the real discipline of, of what it means to be the church, okay? Uh, we could survey this room. I bet every one of us has different opinions about different things. <laughs> we have a lot that is not in common. But what we do have in common is we know Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit. And we are part of the family of God. We've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that binds us together. That's what communion is all about. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10 11. I'm, I'm kind of going to go fast through this because we have uh, communion that we're going to take and then we have something that is really important for us to share here at the end of the service. Paul was writing a church that was imperfect. There were a lot of problems. Aren't you thankful that the New Testament church <laughs> struggled just like we struggle? <laughs> they weren't perfect. They didn't have it all together. And some of you might be saying, Ben, I've had horrible church experiences. I've been hurt by people. I have too. We've all experienced that. But here's, here's what God is doing through communion. He's reminding us who we are as his body, as his people. First Corinthians, the church is struggling. They're fighting. They have different opinions. They have different struggles. 
This is what Paul says in verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. It's not the cup, is it not the cup of thanksgiving in which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? So he's talking about the Lord's Supper, communion, what we're going to do here. And by the way, that word Eucharist just means thanksgiving. It's just giving thanks because we recognize the gift of God. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Remember Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he broke the bread, he passed it out. And there's the key, verse 17, because there is one loaf. We who are many, so in this room, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the same loaf. Did you catch what Paul is saying? Paul says something very profound. Jesus said, this is my body to his disciples. And he had one loaf. He broke it, and he says, this is broken for you. He's saying, my body is broken. Do this in remembrance of me. And so Paul is saying, the church, the people of God, are now the body of Christ. And so we give thanks as we do this, but we also are recognizing that we together are the physical manifestation of the body of Christ until he returns. Remember, he gave the Holy Spirit. He said, you will be my witnesses. Paul says, you are my ambassadors. So I want you to catch this. You're not just attending a church service. We're, we're not consuming something here. We are something. We're called to something. We're called to manifest the reality and the presence of Jesus in this world until he returns. That's what Paul is saying. We are many, form one body. Then he goes on and says, For I, what I received from the Lord, I also pass unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. A new relationship. Adoption. Old is gone, new has come. You see all these themes come together in the blood of Jesus. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. In verse 26, for whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. <laughs> We're all preaching. We're all witnesses. We're all saying something deep about the reality of God in our world. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You see, the crucifixion wasn't just an isolated historic event. The resurrection wasn't just some isolated historical event. It is the solution to the things we're confronting in our world today. Whether it's a pandemic, or mass, or vaccines, or 9-11, or whatever the struggle is, as Christians, our communion is saying, Jesus died, and he gives us life. <laughs> And his resurrection is real. And when we proclaim that, there's power. There's power. Lastly, in, in chapter 11 of Corinthians, I know I'm jumping around. He says, for whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body of Christ, eats and drinks judgment on themselves. And so Paul says, examine ourselves. And so here's the, here's the takeaway. Here's the application. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Here's the application. Jesus said... Matthew 5, if you have something against your brother, he said, leave your sacrifice in the altar and go and be reconciled to them. Here's where that word communion is so important. What Paul is saying is individually, we are remembering the body of Christ. We're remembering whose we are. We're remembering what God has done for us and forgiving all of our sins and setting us free. But we're also remembering that we are part of a body with other people. And when our personal relationships are not marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, there's something that's broken that Jesus came to heal. And so Paul tells the Corinthian church, when you come to celebrate, <laughs> he says, think about your relationships with one another. Are there broken relationships? Is there unforgiveness? And so, the posture of our hearts as we come and do this is, do I have forgiveness in my hearts or, or am I holding on to some kind of unforgiveness towards someone? Is there some kind of selfishness in my heart or, or, or am I filled with the unselfishness of, the, of God, of the Holy Spirit? Is there something I need to do to make it right with someone else? You see, this is personal work, but it results in reconciliation. 
This is what Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 5. He tells us, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We've changed. We once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see that? You have the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message. We proclaim it. And so what we're doing together in this discipline is we're proclaiming that God is a God of reconciliation. He's taking enemies and making them friends. He's, he's taking uh, hatred and turning it into love. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin so for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to invite the elders uh, who, who are here to serve to go to the, their stations on the sides. There's two stations in the back. There's going to be two stations up here up front. Now what we're going to do is there's actually bread there for you to dip into the cup and take. Now I understand not everyone's going to be comfortable with that. We have some little cups, pre-prepared cups in the back. So if you feel more comfortable and uh, just want to take that cup and do it privately at your, at your place, that's fine. But, but we're actually going to get up during the song and we're going to move and get some bread. We're going to be reminded that we are one body. Christ has been broken for us. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and invite the elders who are here to come. Come on. Nick, would you be willing to take a station? And then as we're singing, go ahead and make your way to one of those stations. And you can dip in the bread and, and the cup and take that and reflect and examine. Let's go ahead. Savior, taste what forgiveness is for. His mercy will lead us, the grace of God feed us, making us hungry for more. His body was given for you and for me. Look on the cross and
Isn't that beautiful that it's a picture of us serving one another as we come together and I'm reminded of that. I'm going to invite Heather and Kevin to come on up here and